Some others trickling in from Sunday school and from the back there, but we're glad that you're here on this warm January morning uh, here at Bowling Springs Baptist Church. And I uh, hope everybody survived the storms last night okay, but we are glad that you're here. If you're here as a guest and would like for us, we would love to have a record of your attendance. There is a section in your bulletin that you can fill out some information about yourself and tear that off and place that in the offering plate as it comes by a little later in the service. Also, if you have a prayer concern, we invite you to put that on there as well, and we would love to be in prayer for you. But I know this this morning we have a few students from across the street here with us and others from uh, the community, and we are certainly glad that you're here and uh, look forward to our time of worship this morning. At this time, I'd like to recognize June Hobbs to come and share a word about uh, a class that's beginning this, uh, this evening. The philosopher Philippe Aurier says that we live in an age of forbidden death. We aren't supposed to talk about it. It's kind of rude, people say. It's a little morbid. And some of us think it might be possible to evade it altogether, given our faith in medical science. So tonight we're going to begin a series six, that will run six weeks called, uh, let's talk about mortality. Tonight we're going to kick this off with a death cafe. Death Cafe is an international movement. It's a thing, you can Google this. Uh, it consists of eating cake, drinking coffee, and talking about death. Not so demanding. I think you will find it's a good way to break the ice and open the doors to talking about this subject. The next three weeks, we will spend on discussing the book Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. You can download this on your Kindle, and we have some books that you also can get. I believe they're in Heidi's office, and that would be, it would, this is, this is gonna demand something from you. You'll have to do some reading ahead of time, and then we'll discuss the book. I've started rereading it this weekend, and I like it even better than I, first time I read it. I've probably read it five or six times now. Uh, the last couple of weeks we're going to, I'm going to have a chance to share with you some of the research that I have been doing. I have been involved for the last two years in a collaborative inquiry group. We've been funded through the Louisville Institute and we are studying what we call a practical theology of corpse care. I'm absolutely convinced that we got the grant because of the morbid title, but I think you will find what we've learned interesting. I hope you'll come tonight at five o'clock.
seven worthy of worship hymn seven if you are able please stand and join in singing number seven
Ellen, as you know from my leading of the announcements and the welcome, is not with us this morning. She is with Roger in the ICU, and I considered the children's sermon this morning, but I went ahead and told uh, Justin and Russell and those helping our young ones that were here on the front pew, and they decided to go on back uh, this morning, but we will not be having the children's sermon. But if you do have a young one, uh, please know that our nursery is available. Um, I'm, I have my phone out because I have a text from Ellen. I'm going to see if she sent me another one in the last just five minutes. But the latest on Roger Humphreys this morning is, uh, is not a lot of change. There's no fever. He's in ICU, first of all, at um, Shelby Hospital. Uh, there's no fever. He's off the oxygen, steady blood pressure. C. diff is giving us a run for our money, she says, but we will get there. Um, and she very much appreciates the thoughts and the prayers and would, uh, we need to continue those not only this morning, but throughout this week. He's had quite a time this week, and our hearts go out to Ellen and to Roger. We also need to be in prayer for Lance Nickel as she will begin treatments this week. And uh, please keep her in your thoughts and prayers. And also just know that Reginald Dawkins was moved to the Baptist Retirement Homes in Asheville this week on Thursday. And so be in prayer for um, Barbara as she tries to do some things here. Uh, but also for Reginald as he as they are now uh, separated for a brief time. But this week we also extend comfort to the family of Mike Davis and his sister Debbie. I got her name right. Didn't I? Yeah. And so Mike would uh, Mike and I talked this week and uh, would love for Mike just to share a brief word. Uh, they did not do a service. And so he'll be sharing about that and just a, a brief word about his mom this morning. And Mike, you can either use this mic or use that one there. Well, uh, my mother fell uh, December the 12th and she broke her femur in four places and had surgery on it. After surgery, she went to White Oak for rehab and she had been at White Oak two days and she had a major stroke and uh, went back to the hospital. And while she was in the hospital, uh, it became clear that uh, she wasn't going to live long. And she wanted, she, she told us she wanted to go back to my sister's house where she had been for three years. And we moved her back there. And when we got there, she said, thank you, I'm happy. And uh, it made us feel good. And she died uh, in the wee hours of the morning, Wednesday morning. And uh, she hadn't been able to get out and go anywhere, go to church. She was a member at Double Springs. And we didn't uh, feel, we thought it would be real difficult for, for, for a preacher to really know what to say at a funeral for my mother. So, and she had donated her body to Wake Forest, uh, like my daddy did. So we chose not to have a church service, but we had people come to my sister's house and fellowship and socialize with us. And that's what made us feel good. Uh, uh, we actually had a good time. Uh, me and my sister both said it was difficult to be sad uh, in the situation that we had. And I just wanted to, to, uh, to tell everybody that, uh, Teresa, some people wondered why we didn't have a service. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I just, I, I wanted to say that. And I just wanted to tell a couple little things about my mother. Uh, my sister went to her one day and said, Mama, I guess I'm a terrible mama. Said, I just wanted to slap my son, Sean. And uh, Mama said, well, one time I did slap Mike. <laughs> and Debbie said, did it do any good? She said, it made me feel better. <laughs> and uh, 
I, uh, I majored in animal science at, at NC State, and, and I always remember when we had uh, uh, genetics about breeds of cattle, and you'd learn that, that the black Angus was, uh, had extreme mothering ability, and I'd always think, well, my mama must have been a black Angus. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to share that a little bit with you. Thank you. Mike, I'm not sure how to follow that. <laughs> I think we need to go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe, maybe, that's a, maybe that's what we need to do. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we're thankful for family. We're thankful for memories, funny stories. Um, these relationships are what carries us through and what guides us and helps us as we journey together on this side. And we thank you for moms. We thank you for families, for sisters, siblings, people that mean the world to us, God. God, we give you praise as we uh, hear a song of testimony, Lord, as we uh, pray the prayer that has been prayed in song already this morning, do it again. God, we know that you have been a God of the past, and we know that you are a God of the present, and we know that you are a God of our future. And Lord, all the wonderful things that you have done, Father, we join together in one voice asking you once more to God, do it again. God, do your work in us individually. Do your work in us corporately as a church. May we be people who pursue you and seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. God, we come to you this morning with heavy hearts towards these in our church family who are struggling. Father, we lift up Roger Humphreys. We do pray for his, your continued strength and, and healing in his body. It be with Ellen and the family as well as they care for him and make decisions. And on his behalf, Lord, we just pray for your renewed strength and vitality and that he would be with us this next Sunday. Lord, we pray for Reginald and Barbara Dawkins as they are experiencing transition in their lives. Lord, we lift up Lana Hinkle and we pray for complete healing as she moves forward with treatment this week. God, we pray for comfort, not only for Mike and his sister, but for all those who grieve this morning. May you be a good shepherd and walk with them in this journey in this valley. Lord, we commit to you to service today as we think about the hymn, Worthy of Worship. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy to be praised. And so, Father, help our hearts to be and minds to be conformed to yours this morning. Shape us, mold us. Lord, do something surprising in us this morning. Take us from where we are to a new place, to a different place, to a better place. Lord, through the reading of your word, through the preaching of it, through our singing, our prayers. Father, we commit to you our hearts and our minds and our very selves. Mold us and shape us to look more like you. Forgive us for when we've fallen short this week of your plan and of your will. And God, lead us in your path always. Father, we commit to you this prayer. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Our hymn is number 43, hymn number 43, Grace Alone. If you are able, please stand and join in singing number 43.
Dear Father, we come to you today in praise and worship to thank you for the many blessings you continuously give us. Help us to think of these blessings each day and want to give back to you with our tithes and offerings of our service and love and financial resources. We give them to your church to help spread the word of your love, grace, and mercy to those who do not know you. We thank you for your love and thank you that we are all gifted with the free will to give to you in so many ways. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Thank you, choir, candy and instrumentalists and praise team earlier. Thank you. I'm surprised. I'm glad you're here this morning, but uh, you came back even knowing, I think I may have said last week that we would be in Leviticus 25 again this Sunday and you're back. And so thank you. Um, Leviticus is a unique book in, in the scripture. I think the Greek word uh, that it comes from is pertaining to Levi. And as God instructed Moses, uh, the tribe of Levi are the ones that lead out in the tabernacle and the offering of sacrifices and the priestly duties of the, of the tabernacle. And it's ultimately a book about God's holiness, not only how God is holy, but how he desires his people to be holy as well. And so the scripture, I didn't know exactly where I was going to land with uh, Leviticus and some others as well. And so it is not on your uh, on the screen this morning, but to encourage you to use the one in your pew or the one that you brought scripture that you brought with you. Uh, Leviticus is certainly a unique book and can be challenging, especially for a new believer uh, as you dive into it. But last Sunday, and again today, we are focused on the theme of Jubilee. And there's a lot of different directions we can go. Last Sunday, we talked about the theme of forgiveness and the good news of God's grace and mercy uh, that is the central theme of Christ, the central theme of scripture, is that God sees us as we are and that he loves us and that he forgives us. But let's dive into it once more, Leviticus 25. I want to read down through verses, uh, down through verse 13 and then 
uh, one more, but Leviticus 25, verse 1, the Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. Your harvest after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. All of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food, yourself, your male and female slaves, and your hired man, and your foreign resident, those who live as aliens with you. Even your cattle and the animals that are in your land shall have all its crops to eat. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of years, namely 49 years. Hang with me now. Verse nine, you shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement, and you shall sound a horn all through your land. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. You shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from an untrimmed vines. For it is a jubilee, and it shall be holy to you, and you shall eat the crop of its field. On this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. Later in verse 23 of chapter 25, we're reminded again of one of the central themes of Jubilee. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. One other verse from the New Testament is that I'd like to read this morning is Matthew 6:33, a verse that many of you may know by heart, and if not, it would be a good one to commit to memory. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The New Living, Tra- New Living Translation says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. May God add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Today we continue where we began last week with this theme of Jubilee, if you will, hitting the reset button. We all need to hit the reset button, and what a better time to do that than at the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new decade, the uh, living out of the 50th year in this facility, uh, our sanctuary and our educational space. Bowling Springs Baptist commemorated that time this last September, and we are in the midst of our 50th year here in this facility. And so at that time, I began meditating and thinking about the theme of Jubilee. This theme of Jubilee, again, if you didn't catch it in the scripture, it's this uh, every seven years is, is referred to as the sabbatical year. And after seven sabbatical years, which would be 49, that 50th year is the year of Jubilee. It would begin uh, in that 49th year on the, the 10th day of the seventh month, the day of atonement. And it was a very significant time in the life of the people uh, that we know to be God's people, the Hebrews there in the Old Testament. In Jubilee, the land rested from cultivation. We're going to learn more about that in just a moment. Slaves went free, and the land reverted back to its original owner. The Day of Atonement cleansed the temple and the community. It made room for a fresh start, for a new beginning, a reset, if you will, for the people of God. 
And as we continue with this Jubilee theme, let me again, uh, of course, remind you that we have enjoyed worshiping in this facility for 50 years. One of the most significant um, ways the people of God would announce the year of Jubilee was with a ram's horn. Happened to have one with me this morning. I told you it was on its way. It was in a post office in New Jersey last Sunday morning, but I have it with me. And we'll hear it not only this morning, but in the, the last Sunday of this month as well. But the word Jubilee in the Old Testament is from the Hebrew word Yobel, or Yovel, Y-O-V-E-L, meaning a ram's horn or a trumpet. And this sound, the, the trumpet itself and the sound of the trumpet had great significance for the people of God. We first read of the shofar, the, or the ram's horn, in Exodus 19:16. And when Moses was on the mountain, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was the receiving of the Ten Commandments. And here's the verse that we find there in Exodus 19:16. On the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. The shofar had great significance for the people of God, and we're going to learn some of those reasons here in just a moment. But of the 72 times that the word shofar is mentioned, 68 times in our Old Testament, it is translated trumpet. Um, it's something of significance. One of the earliest wind instruments known to, make, to humankind. This loud trumpet came to be recognized as the sound of God's presence, as the sound of God's favor. It was sounded on the Day of Atonement in that seventh sabbatical year as Jubilee began. It was sounded on the battlefield as a reminder of God's presence. One of the stories that sticks out in my mind is the Battle of Jericho. And, and we, if you know that story, you know what happened. Each day of the seven days, the first six days, they walked around the walls one time. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times and then the trumpet, right? And the walls came tumbling down as some of us used to sing as a child. This... Shofar was also sounded to announce new kings and at other significant ceremonies. It was sounded as a part of worship at the tabernacle and later, later at the temple. And it was also sounded as David brought the Ark of the Covenant uh, back into the camp of the Israelites. It was also sounded to awaken slumbering souls and examines one deed, and examine one deed. So for those who may be slumbering this morning in our worship, it's time to wake up. Instead of church bells, we're gonna hear a shofar this morning. I have never played the trumpet. I need to confess that, and I am grateful to Roger Lowe for his assistance, uh, but here we go. I do have my microphone on, but we tried this this week, and you will not go deaf. Just telling you now. Here we go. Yeah, not bad, all right. Took, took me a while to get going on that. I do say that I learned, I practiced once Roger Lowe guided me in this. You know, when I first bought it, I just started blowing into it. And Roger, he's, he looked, kind of looked down, you know, embarrassed that I would even say that. He said, you gotta, and he started spitting almost at me. And so I, once I started spitting at the thing, I, it, it helped me out. But I do have to say this, Heidi and Betsy are probably wishing that Roger had not helped me figure that out earlier in the week, because by the end of the week, they're probably tired of hearing that. But, uh, but thank you for uh, indulging me for a moment this morning. I couldn't help but think as I was blowing that and thinking of different scriptures, again, 68 of the 72, well, that's in the Old Testament, but there's some in the New Testament as well. And of course, we think of 1 Corinthians 15 that says that the last trumpet, for the trumpet, the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised. And I couldn't help but think of that this week as well as I was meditating on scriptures, a literal interpretation of that from, from Paul there in 1 Corinthians. 
But you and I did not come to worship today to talk about the shofar and trumpets and, and to blow it and let your pastor entertain you with the, this trumpet blowing, but we came for, for much more. Last Sunday, we spoke, we spoke of the strongest theme, again, in reference to Jubilee, the theme of forgiveness. In Luke 4, in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, he, in a sense, inaugurated this time of Jubilee, his message of forgiveness, his message of hope, not only for the people at that day, but for us, for you and I today as well. As he, he came saying that I have come, uh, basically bringing in this Jubilee, I've come for this favorable year of the Lord. And he was quoting Isaiah 61. And then from there, we went back to Leviticus and following the trail there in the Old Testament, one of which the people in Jesus's day would have known very well and would have followed him exactly and knew many would have known exactly what he meant. But in addition to this overarching theme of forgiveness that we see prevailing throughout Jubilee, there's other themes as we hit the reset button that, uh, that come to mind for the people of God. And one of those would be a lesson on what matters most. Some have called it the lesson of the simple life. Some of us in this room are more accustomed to living more simple than others, but nevertheless, I think we would all agree on the fact that as we accumulate things, as we move forward in career, as we move forward just in life, there's accumulation of things. When we move to Bowling Springs and even transition some time back, we're constantly, if that ever happens to you, you go through one, I mean, it's just amazing the amount of stuff that we realize that we have accumulated as we sometimes need to clean out or make a move or a transition. But when the people were asked not to sow on the seventh sabbatical year, and then let the 50th Jubilee of year rest, this was asking a lot because what, what God was asking is that not only do you not plant and sow on the, on the sabbatical year, but you also don't do that as well on the year of Jubilee. And so therefore in the third year, you begin planting your crops again. So it's really three years and Leviticus 25 uh, verses 20 through 22 explain this better. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Then I will so order my blessings for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, uh, you will still eat the old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when its crops come in. One of the results or outcomes of the year of Jubilee was a focus on the simple life. Again, as the scripture tells us, they would not help but live simply for three consecutive years years. As I look across the room, I see some in the room that know a lot more about farming than I do, which is very little. But some of you have made careers out of that, and you know the significance of what's involved in planting and harvesting a crop. You had the regular sabbatical year, again, the year of Jubilee, and then the other year that were needed, again, needed to plant the crops and to wait for the harvest. Studying this, you cannot deny that this afforded ample opportunity to develop the habit of living within very limited means. Most of us in the room know what's that, what's that, what's that, what that is like, excuse me, whether that is in the present day context or in previous years. And you know what it's like to get by on limited means. The main expectation of the people was faith in Yahweh and confidence in what God said. One of the hardest things for you and I to do even still today is to take God at his word, to hear what he has to say and say, God, I trust you and I have faith. I can't imagine how difficult that was for the people of God as they entered into the sabbatical year 
because they knew another year would come of Jubilee with no more harvesting. The only thing they could eat from the ground was what the seeds left the previous year, but no work could have been done to bring that about. But God promised them that he would bless them on the sixth year with enough to eat for those three years. Something fundamental for the people of God then and still today was a simple faith and trust in God. I think sometimes we make it too complicated, both maybe at times from this pulpit and at other times from the, in the classroom. It's good to go deep and it's good to learn the deep truths and, 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 and go in that direction. But at times I think we make the simple faith and trust in God maybe more difficult than it can be. It's easy to say and the words run off our lips, but the living out of this simple truth, this living out of this life of faith, as we all know, can be incredibly difficult for God's people then and for us still today as well. Chapter 11 of Hebrews talks about faith uh, throughout the chapter and verse six says, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I hope that you and I, as we have walked in faith and we, as we all know, uh, go through hills and valleys in our relationship with the Lord and ups and downs and trials and tribulations, but I hope that we have, can give testimony to some times that we have lived and walked by faith and hope we do that often or always, but if we're honest, we know that there are times that we do not. But when we are walking and living by faith, there is a freedom in the simplicity that we would not have experienced otherwise. I look back in the times and think about and as God is moving in my life and what is happening in me and around me and what am I doing differently when God seems to be moving in a stronger way than he does at other times. And I, I think about that. Where are my priorities and where am I focused on the simple life that scripture speaks of often over and over again? When we have more than we need, we're riddled with anxiety and fear. We've all been there. There was something inherent in Jubilee that reminded the people that God is the owner of all. Wealth itself was viewed as belonging to God and not man. Throughout scripture, we read of numerous verses in the Old Testament and the New in which matters of economy or wealth were addressed. Jesus was very blunt about this, about the, how difficult it was for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of God. He saw the grip that wealth and the desire for more can have on a person. He knew that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is precisely why he said, do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Jesus spoke to the economics more than any other social issue. This last uh, Sunday of January, we're going to talk about the stewardship of Jubilee. Next week, we're going to celebrate with our men and just have a wonderful day and encourage you to be here for next Sunday. But on the last Sunday of January, we're going to talk about Jubilee once more. And we're going to talk about the fact that to whom has been given, uh, much is required, much is asked of us. Um, and, and how are we to be good stewards of this gift of forgiveness that God has offered to us? As contemporary believers, we become distracted so easily about what matters most. And going deeper with the theme of Jubilee and this theme of simplicity, we are reminded that the central point is to seek first the kingdom of God. The people in Moses' day didn't hear the words exactly like that. They heard it maybe in different ways, but yet Jesus summarized it for us in Matthew 6, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In some ways, God was speaking that to the people of Israel when, when he's saying, trust me, have faith in me, 
through this sabbatical year, through this year of Jubilee, and as you enter into this final year of planting and harvesting your crops once more, look to me, seek me first, and, help, and, and I will help you to remain or keep your focus on what matters most. It's from here in seeking God's first that everything will have its proper order. When we are seeking first the things of God and the ways of God, it changes things in us. You and I can all give testimony to when we have not been seeking first the kingdom of God and what that hasn't done in our lives. There's not not a lot going on there, but yet when we are walking with the Lord, when we are pursuing his ways and seeking to follow him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, hopefully we can give change to the, or give testimony to the way that has changed us. Hopefully we would say, as the song opened our worship today, God, do it again. God, I know what you've done in me in the past, and I want to see that again now. I want to see it in the present, and I want to see it as I move forward. This last Wednesday in our 11 a.m. time and also again at 6, I began and we are continuing in looking at this idea or subject of spiritual disciplines. As we focus on our relationship with the Lord here at the beginning of 2020, there is a, uh, a need, a demand, a, uh, an urging in me to remind myself and I feel like to remind this church of the importance of the spiritual life. A lot of times at church we get caught up in the programmatic things and committee meetings and it easy, at least it, it's easy to do that. It's easy to go down a track and forget, not, not inherently forget, but just to lose track of the fact that the most important thing that you and I are to be about is nurturing and growing our spiritual lives. We can't always make things happen the way we wanna make them happen in our lives, but we can do what the farmer does. We can cultivate the soil, we can prepare it, and allow God to do that miraculous growth that we see not only in nature, but that he can do in us when he has a fertile field in which to move and to grow his life in us. Richard Foster, in his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, writes about the spiritual discipline of, of simplicity. Last week we began again the emphasis on this and we'll be looking at prayer, at Bible study, at meditation, at worship, these spiritual disciplines that help us to grow in our faith and in our relationship with the Lord. But he also writes about simplicity, Richard Foster does, and I wanna offer a few things that he uh, encourages us and challenges us with in this book. He encourages us to buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. When we think of cars, homes, clothes, we've all been there, um, buying something maybe we knew it wasn't as so much practical, but we thought it looks nice and you know, it maybe will help us, maybe especially when you're younger, trying to impress that certain someone, and so you buy things for status rather than their usefulness. He also urges us to reject anything that is producing an addiction. Richard Foster, in his chapter on simplicity, urges us to reject anything that is producing an addiction. Anything we eat, anything we drink, consume, or even the technology we use. We make it think of other things. He urges us to develop a habit of giving things away. If you see someone who needs something and you have it, give it away. It may go against... Um, you know, there was one time when Aiden, I think it was last year... He came home and um, he had given something, I won't tell you what it is, he had given something away. 
because somebody needed it. And, it, and, and Renee and I immediately were a little frustrated by that because we were like, this was, this was important for you and for, you know, and, and he had given it away. And so it was hard for us as a parent to uh, chide him over that. But there's a challenge. And I reminded as I read this this week and was thinking of that as well. But how many people that we see each and every day need or in desperate need of things that we could simply provide for them? Again, all of the, under the idea of Jubilee, the land reverting back to its original owner, debts being forgiven, slaves being freed, this sense of forgiveness, this sense of generosity, this sense of simplicity and getting back to the basics. He also urges his readers to develop a deeper appreciation for creation. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Psalm 24, verse 1. I'm always humbled when I think about the vast complexity and the enormity of creation. My mind goes to Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? He also urges us to reject anything that will breed oppression in others. If we're living the simple life, we will avoid anything that will breed oppression in others. I think I've shared with you maybe a year or two ago that Renee has an app on her phone that will scan barcodes at the store. And we do this a lot on chocolate because chocolate companies are the worst in hiring slave labor uh, to produce the, many, a lot of the chocolate that we enjoy here in the United States. And so we'll often scan the barcodes on chocolate. If it says fair trade, we'll pick that up quickly. But if it doesn't, some companies have a better reputation than others. But I am encouraged that companies are improving that as well. The last thing that he offers is to shun whatever would distract you from your main goal. And this is where we're going to begin to conclude today. He asks those to, um, he encourages those to shun whatever would distract you from your main goal. That main goal, hopefully, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That main goal, hopefully, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Does your cell phone distract you from your main goal? What about social media? What about status, power, the desire to get ahead, money, property, possessions, influence in the community, a name in the community? What is it that distracts you from your main goal? May God give us the wisdom and the courage and the strength to seek first his kingdom and understand, that all, and understand all that that implies. To do so is to experience jubilee, and to do so is to live in simplicity. As I was thinking about this sermon this week, when I think about simplicity and getting back to the basics, I always enjoy going back to some of the monastic fathers and to some of the saints of old. I referenced several weeks ago Thomas Aquinas and Thomas A. Akempis, I think of St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, we could think of others, name other monastic fathers and even monastic mothers and going back to some of these words of old. And the reason that I enjoy doing that is because I often feel and believe there could have been angles back then, but it's sometimes today we have to be careful in the companies that we read from or who, who produced this and who did it come from and we ask the angle, at least I do, and, and maybe this is, well, I guess it's still a good thing. I ask, well, what's their angle? What's the angle of the person writing this book, this curriculum, this, this commentary? Because everybody has angles. And the reason I say this is I had, on Christmas Day, it's been a tradition for as long as I've married, been married to Renee, she has watched White Christmas. 
I have not always watched White Christmas with her, but I did this year from the beginning to the end. And some of you know, Bing Crosby is sitting with one of the sisters, and I can't remember which one it is, and he's talking about an angle. And he said, everybody has an angle. And she's like, oh, I, I don't know. He's like, no, everybody has an angle. And it's kind of like he's saying, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. He's like, we all, we all have an angle. But at times, unfortunately, in today's contemporary world, we have to think about the angle of which someone is writing a book and what message and what angle are they communicating as they move forward. And one of the things that I love about, about the monastic fathers and about the saints of old as we go back hundreds or thousands of years is that I think, maybe not with all, but with most, their angle was Jesus. That was their slant. That was their underlying thing. It wasn't, wasn't underlying, it was in bold. But their angle was Jesus. As we move forward into 2020, as we celebrate Jubilee, as we think about forgiveness, as we think about a restart, a beginning again, if you will, I hope that you and I will take to heart the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 33, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. I hope our angle is Jesus. There's a quote that I closed Wednesday with that I'd like to share with you as we close now. It was by Leo Tolstoy. And he wrote these words, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing themselves. For you and I to have the greatest impact, for you and I to experience the growth that God would have in us and the growth that God would have in our church and in our community, to see others come to know him and walk with him, let us begin this new year as we are still beginning this new year by thinking about what needs to be changed in us. As we come into the presence of God, we are reminded of our own humanity. We're reminded that he is God, that we are not, and we must look to him. And we must, like the people in the Old Testament who were going into that sabbatical year and year of Jubilee, say, God, I don't know exactly how this is going to happen. It doesn't make sense. But you've told me that the sixth year you're going to bless us, and you've told us that you're going to provide for us as we move into these years of rest as we move into these years of not planting and harvesting crops. God, we're gonna have faith that you are who you say you are and that you do what you say you will do. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way it challenges us. I thank you for these unique themes that we don't always spend time looking at, but um, Leviticus 25 certainly has something to offer us in 2020 as well. God, we're grateful for the hope, the forgiveness, the grace that you offer each of us. Father, forgive us when we have not sought first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, change in us what needs to be changed. We often think of what needs to be changed in others. But Father, today, do your work in us so that when we leave this place, Lord, we'll have confessed sin, we'll have hit the reset button, if you will. Help us to begin this year fully committed to you not knowing how everything's going to play out this year, but walking by faith like your people of old. Help us to do that today. God, change us, mold us, shape us to look more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn number, that, uh, there we go, hymn number 565, God of Past, Who by Your Spirit. Let's stand and sing together. If there is, the altar is open if you desire to pray and if you desire to recommit or to put your faith and trust in Christ, I would love to talk with you. If you desire church membership, the altar is open. Let's stand and sing together.
Let me remind you of our time this evening with Dr. June Hobbs at 5 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. I think it's in the Living Bible that um, Solomon says in, in, in Ecclesiastes, it's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties, for death has a refining influence on you. And there's value in thinking about death, and I am thinking that that is part of what uh, June is challenging, with, uh, challenging us with these, over these next few weeks. And so uh, don't be uh, scared by the topic or by uh, the subject matter. Uh, come and, and be a part of that uh, lively discussion, I'm sure. And let me remind you that every Wednesday at 11 a.m. we meet in the Kerygma room. And if we are outnumbered in there, we'll move into the Lighthouse room. But we usually have a full room in there. And so as I invite everyone, uh, if, we, if that's the case, then we'll move into the Lighthouse room and, and have our study in there. But we also have an abbreviated study at 6 uh, before uh, things depart at 6.30. And so come and, and be a part of a midweek Bible study if you are not currently. Uh, let me also remind you the devotions. Somebody's brought them out here. Thank you, whoever did that. Um, they are on the front pew, so please sign up. There are a few spots. I probably have maybe 15 out of the 40 that are remaining that remain open. Uh, some couples are joining together to write a devotion. Maybe you haven't written a devotion. You're intimidated to do it by yourself, but maybe the two of you that'd be a good project, a good couple strength, you know, building exercise there. But to, if you're two of you are willing to do that together, then also please sign up for that as well. Be sure to speak to someone that you haven't spoken to before you leave today. And uh, let's conclude now with this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.